Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. Today I want to continue our series um, that we've been in called I'm Fine, But Not Really. <laughs> Anybody ever said that before? I'm fine. I'm fine. Let me hear you say it. I'm fine. Y'all sound good. Come on, Victory. You're awesome. Look at your neighbor and say, you're awesome. And look at your other neighbor and say, you're, you're pretty good too. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'm fine. But are we? Sometimes we're saying that and we're really not. We're just, we've covered things up. We're pretending. Uh, we want to seem like everything's good. But really on the inside, we're talking about the in, inner person and the spirit and the heart of who we are. Are we really fine? We like to put on that happy face because we want to appear like everything's good. You know, whether it's in the area of our finances, a lot of us are like, uh, we're, we're broke, we're busted, we're disgusted, we're strapped, but we tell everybody we're fine, we're fine. Then we post our Instagram pictures at the, at the store with all of our bags that we just borrowed from the lady behind the counter. Can I use this for me? And then we give them back to her so that we can take our pictures so that everyone thinks we're rolling large, right? You know, we want to look, we want to have the appearance of certain things without really having the firm standing of being financially secure. Well, isn't it better to actually be fine than to be pretending? then why, do we, why are we, as people, are we so quick to run to the pretending and just embrace that wholeheartedly instead of actually taking steps and making decisions to actually be fine in areas? Whether that's relationally, we see people, I'm fine, I'm fine relationally, and we really they're not because they're living, so many people living in relationships outside of God's best. And, you know, we see it with people uh, living together before they, you know, they get married. How many of y'all know that um, the Bible, God talks about relation, marital, marital relations? We know what I'm talking about. Like, God said those are for being married. But we have a culture that tells us, hey, if it feels good, do it. You're fine. You're fine. And so we have a world full of broken people pretending they're fine, trying to live in with this person. Now I don't like you anymore. I'm living with this person. I'm fine. Uh, now I don't like you either. This person, you don't satisfy my needs either. Now I'm to this person. I'm fine. I'm fine, but not really. And we have a, a generation of people that have grown up thinking, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm just going to deal with it with this next relationship, this next thing, this more. I got If I buy this new thing, then I'll have that. I'm fine, I'm fine. But really, we're not fine. And I believe God wants us to actually move past the surface and he wants to deal with the root, the heart of some things, because he wants us to be fine. He wants us to get to the place where we actually have healing, because when you have healing, you can give healing to somebody else. When you have wholeness, you can help somebody else step into wholeness. But if we're just broken and pretending and faking it till we make it, how are we ever going to help somebody else be in Jesus? How are we going to ever help anybody else move out of the place that they're in? God doesn't need a bunch of fake people who are Christians. God wants people like, yeah, of course, we're imperfect people. Yeah, each day we're relying on the grace of Jesus. We'll never get it perfect, but hey, we're not going to stay in that place. I'm going to keep, like, today's the worst I'm going to be. Tomorrow I'll be better. All right, I got the right message today. So we're talking about 
this whole thing, I'm fine, but not really. And we've really been talking about dealing with some places in our heart, getting honest with ourselves, and dealing with some of the roots in us that grow deep. The Bible says, make sure that no bitter root grows among you. It says it will cause trouble and it will defile many. And so we've been talking about how do we deal with bitterness and offense. And uh, really the series, when I, when I started putting it together, was one long message. And, um, you know, I, I try to stay on time. I got a clock up there and down here. Praise the Lord. And I, you know, I got a watch on too to help me. So I was like, this is too long. I need to break it up into different parts. So it's kind of, we've kind of been progressing through this whole thing. We talked about uh, the truth of offense. And then last week we talked in detail about the process of forgiveness. How do we forgive and walk in forgiveness? And today I want to move into the next phase of this um, is this whole idea of the truth of reconciliation. The truth about reconciling relationships and resolving conflict because it's just, it's it's a really big topic there's a lot of things that need to be said and covered and like I can't cover everything in our time today so what I want to do is kind of begin to bring some things to the surface to begin uh, to uh, help us to take some steps and begin to dive deeper into some of these topics I believe that um, while our spiritual enemy's plan for our life is to get us living offended and bitter lives, like the plan of God for our lives, especially in dealing with hurt and pain, unmet expectations, unforgiveness, is to not simply react out of our humanity. Well, this is just how I am. And so this is just like, I'm just an imperfect person. Like, that's fine. But God's plan for us is not to just react and live that way, but rather to respond like Jesus did. Jesus was fully man and fully God. The Bible says he experienced everything in the way that we do, except he didn't enter into sin. So if Jesus lived on this earth, experienced the hurt, the rejection, the betrayal, everything like we would, and he was able to respond in a godly way, guess what? We can too. It's just that we've too often, I think, bought into the cultural belief that's so prevalent in our world today that if someone disrespects us, boy, I got to let you know, you ain't going to disrespect me. Like that's not in the Bible. Jesus was going to the cross and everyone disrespected him, right? It's a big deal, this topic of reconciling relationships, resolving uh, conflict. And I think the goal we have to understand is different than the world would try to resolve conflict in, in one way. But the goal of godly reconciliation, right, is to bring the peace of God into situations is to bring healing of God into places, right? Um, and, and so I think we have a, a different goal in reconciling things so that the love and the life of Christ would be seen through us. Um, we need to understand this about reconciliation is that forgiveness is a one-player game. All right, I will. Thank you. Forgiveness is a one-player game. It's just you. It's between you and God. It doesn't depend on anybody else or the situation. Reconciliation, then, is two or more people coming together to bring healing in a relationship. right? But forgiveness is, is just one person. Reconciliation is, is, is that. So I, I would even define it this way. Forgiveness is the inward process of me. Reconciliation is the outward expression of what God has already done inside of my heart. 
right? Too often we want to skip to the other part first. Like, I don't want to deal with the forgiveness. I just want to go tell that person what's going on. I want to give them my two cents. Listen, in this economy, you need all the cents you have. <laughs> That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. You, <laughs> I've been practicing my dad jokes, too. Getting my list down, refining them. Father's Day's coming. And that wasn't a day get you. I, you all are geniuses, okay? But it's just reconciliation requires two humble, forgiving people to come together to talk, listen, empathize, and forgive like Jesus did. The trouble is our, our world is the opposite. We see it, and it's encouraged to be the opposite. Right now, uh, the expression of the opposite of reconciliation is, we've probably heard it, is cancel culture. Anybody heard of that before? Like, if you don't agree with what I said, canceled. Like, you're out of here. Like, if you have a different opinion than what I said, canceled. I don't care if we're friends or blood-related or first cousins or whatever. You don't agree. You didn't vote the way that I did. I hate you now. Like, where is that in the Bible? No, Jesus said, love those who hate you. Bless those who persecute you. There is no, there's no Republicans and Democrats in heaven. There are sons and daughters of God in heaven, forgiven people in heaven. It's not who we are as our political party. No, who we are as citizens of heaven, we are not of this world. That's a different message. Got to stay on track today. Praise the Lord. Like we, We're not called to live by canceled culture. We're called to live by the grace of God. That's cancel culture is one way, but how did Jesus teach us to live? So let's look at it in the Bible because really uh, the Bible is the best place, the best source. If you want to follow along on the notes today, uh, they'll put the QR code on there. You can scan it. It'll take you right to the YouVersion Bible app where all the notes are. You can take notes in there and do that. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, and this is actually comes from uh, one of the very first recorded sermons that we have of Jesus. So all throughout the the books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those the Gospels, records the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. And this is one of the sermons, the very first one that we have that's written down. Uh, It's commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. So the picture is Jesus is on the hillside somewhere and all around the the hills and down the foothills and everything is there's thousands of people gathered around to hear Jesus preaching and he's teaching them this amazing thing. And here in verse nine, he says this, he says, blessed are those who have the most popular opinion. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's different than a peacekeeper. Peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. One thing that I love to do when I'm reading the Bible, or, or um, have you ever been like, you've been reading the Bible and then out of nowhere, like a verse stands out, like, wow, okay. Like, I would encourage you, that's God speaking to you. So just stop right there. Don't worry about reading the next 13 chapters. Just, God, what do you, what do you want me to get out of this? And just, just stay right there. When that happens to me, one thing I like to do is read the verse backwards. Because it just kind of brings a fresh light into it. So let's read this backwards. The children of God will be peacemakers and they will be blessed. So apparently as a son, a daughter of God, we are called to be peacemakers. One who makes peace where there is not. Right? A, a peacemaker brings peace into the situation. It brings 
uh, resolution to conflict. It's helping settle differences. A peacemaker is getting rid of strife and envy and jealousy. The Bible says where there's strife and envy, there's every evil thing. A peacemaker is driving out every evil thing to bring the presence and the peace of God. And here, Jesus is teaching us that those who are peacemakers, those will be the sons and daughters of God. So it begs the question, if we're not being a peacemaker, can we call ourselves a son and daughter of God? Can we be blessed? Jesus said the peacemakers will be called the sons and daughters of God and they will be blessed. So if the opposite would also have to be true. If we're not peacemakers, we're not going to be blessed. Might not be called sons and daughters of God. Like angry, offended, strife-filled, resentful, bitter people will not be blessed. This is the words of Jesus, right? And at the same time, you know, I think it's important. I don't know how you grew up, the home situation you were in. But listen, you can learn to reconcile differences. You can learn to be a peacemaker. You can learn to resolve conflict in a godly way. You can learn to be quick to forgive. If you can learn to play an instrument, you can learn to reconcile differences in a godly way. If you can learn, you know, to another language, you can learn to hold your temper. If you can learn to new skills to get that promotion at work, you can learn to zip your lip. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can learn things if we're willing to cut out the excuse of it. I know the excuse is easier. And, you know, it's like, well, I would, Pastor, but I just can't. Well, that's the way you like it. That's just, you just like the strife in there because you don't want to deal with it. I'm fine, I'm fine, but really, we're not. Maybe you grew up in a home where reconciliation didn't exist. Maybe just people just like cut you off like you're dead to me. You're out of here, you know. Or maybe conflict was just swept under the rug. You know, we're going to pretend like it's not there. And then one day somebody trips over it and all the anger and the strife spews out. There's always tension. Maybe you grew up in a home that was full of yelling and, and screaming, passive-aggressive comments. Maybe you were... <laughs> my, my, I grew up with some silent treatment. Anybody like, it was just cold all the time and the AC was off, you know? <laughs> I don't know what your story was, but come on, we're not gonna just live in the, in the stink of our past. We're not gonna just camp out in the regret of what we thought we should have had. Listen, you're writing the story today, not only for your life, but for future generations. And you get to decide what that story is. You get to decide what the end will be. If it'll just be a replay of what was in the past or if it'll be a new story that honors God. I don't know if to, you know, like no matter what, if, you, if you've been divorced before, that doesn't have to be the end of your story. God can restore you and bring something to you that then can write a new story that will last until the day you step into eternity. I don't know if you've been single or whatever and you've been praying and seeking God and you just maybe you're at that place where you're like, well, I'm just going to give up and I'm just going to try it like everybody else does. Listen, it doesn't have to be like that. You can write the story. You make the decisions. In fact, we've got, um, as I was, I was writing this message, uh, me and my wife were talking. We just had the idea. Uh, <laughs> I cut up a book that I had, and uh, I just, we started gluing them to some boards. And we have them out in the lobby, and I just, I, I want, my, my prayer for you today is that God would speak to you what that story is supposed to be. What's your story? What's the new story that you're writing? I don't know what it was. Maybe it was divorce. Maybe it was the silent treatment. Maybe it was 
yelling or anger or strife or whatever it is. But what's the new story that God wants to write through you? Because the story you're writing is going to be the story of your family going forward. So why not just go ahead and draw the line in the sand? Be the thing that you thought you should have had, but you didn't have. What's the story that you're writing? And so we've got out in the lobby today after service, there's some boards out there with these book pages just glued to it where, like, if you're bold enough, I just encourage you, there's some Sharpies out there, just go write on there what your new story is going to be. Let's just fill those boards up and just begin to just get some audacious, radical faith. Like whatever was, 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 but I'm leaving the past behind me and I'm moving into a new chapter. Today is chapter one, day one of the story God is writing through us. Come on. Anybody with me? Like, so I just encourage you, write your story. We're going to decide. We're going to make purposeful decisions to be peacemakers, to be those who bring reconciliations, to write a, a new chapter of our lives. Maybe it's a chapter of purity. Maybe there's been addiction to pornography or whatever. Maybe there's been, you know, cursing or name calling. and You're going to write a new story. I will speak blessing and not cursing. Maybe there, there's been addiction in some other area. And you're going to say, I'm not addicted. I am set free through Christ. And freedom will be the story that we write. I don't know what it is for you, but what's the story that God wants to write through your life? Today I want to share seven truths about reconciliation. And I hope that these will begin to transform your life and uh, result, helping us to resolve conflict, restoring relationships. I think these are, are practical things we can use on a daily basis. Hopefully you'll write these down, maybe talk about them in the car ride home today. Here's the one, first one. First truth about reconciliation is it starts in your heart before God. It starts with you. We talked about this in detail last week, the process of forgiveness. All that's on our podcast, our YouTube channel, on our website. We're not trying to mesh forgiveness together with reconciliation. They're mutually exclusive processes. Like you forgive first, you go through that process, but then you move into the process of reconciliation, bringing restoration. And it's so key because we can't just jump the gun because if I just skip past dealing with, with what's in my heart, if I skip past the forgiveness and just try to go re reconcile with that person, then we run the risk. Odds are pretty high that in that reconciliation moment, I'm gonna be more focused on making sure they know how I felt and you did me wrong and I, 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 like, I need restitution from you and you better make this right. And we run the risk of turning it back to us rather than seeking peace and healing because we haven't dealt with what was in us first. First, we start the process of forgiveness in us so that we can move forward into reconciliation. See, reconciliation is different than restitution. Restitution wants to, I want something back from you. You better pay me back. You hurt me. You better make this right. Listen, most of the time, I've, like in my life anyway, like when I've been hurt by somebody or some situation, like, it, like there's no way another person can make it right. There's no way they can pay me back. Like, and, and if that's my goal, then I really haven't dealt with the root of bitterness that's in me because it's still about me. Like, reconciliation is different because it's about like what the other person. It's forgiving so that I can come together with that person. I can still say, hey, Man, what, what happened, man? And that hurt me deep when you said this or what. Like, we can still talk about those things, but it's just because I've had the forgiveness with the Father first in my heart, then my motive in the reconciliation and even talking about the details is totally different. It just changes it when we go through the biblical process. Here's the second truth about reconciliation is that not everyone will be open to it. <laughs> 
in other words, not everyone will want to reconcile with you. And I would go a step further and say not every relationship. Reconciliation is not just bringing things back to the way things were. You can have forgiveness and healing inside of you and you can like resolve a conflict and not go back to an unhealthy relationship. So there's that side of it. But some people are like, they just like conflict. Some people just want to have something to hold over your head, something to always bring up that dead horse that's been beat, you know. Like some people, like you just got to understand you can't change people. And even if you could, it's not your job. It's not your responsibility. You cannot change people. So what can you do? You can't make them reconcile, but you can pray for them. You can walk in love towards them. You can show them grace. You can smile when they come in the room. And I know they're probably still cursing you out or talking under their breath about you. And you can still show them the love of Jesus. You don't need to be a doormat, but you can show the love of Jesus. I love what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. He says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. In this part, he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on the other person coming and apologizing, as far as it depends on them coming and paying you back, come on, don't let me get away with stuff. No, he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, boo, live at peace with everyone. So in other words, not everyone's going to want to reconcile, but as much as it depends on you, what's in your control is how you live at peace with people. What's in your control is how you show grace and the love of God towards everyone. Don't worry about them. Just worry about you. Like, be careful with you as much as it depends on you live at peace with everyone. Here's a third truth about reconciliation is add to your vocabulary. Some of you are like, oh, I'm adding to my vocabulary. I'm gonna... <laughs> it's not what I mean. I'm saying together, right? Uh, uh, there are lots of things to say, right? Some of us have played all those things out. Like, I'm going to raise both my hands on that one. Like, like, we're just, it's so easy. Like, especially when that person's not there, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm, I'm going to say this to them, and I'm going to say this, and they're going to try to say this, and then I'm just going to keep going, and I say this to them. And, oh, that's going to be a good one right there. I'm going to write that one down. <laughs> Anybody else? Like, we have lots of things to say, and probably lots of languages to say it in. I love hearing so many different languages in our church. It's beautiful. Um, I, I, I don't know that many yet, but I'm, I'm trying to learn some. You're free to say whatever you want. You are. You can say anything, whatever you want. But I just have to tell you, not everything you can say will be beneficial. If you want to bring godly reconciliation, not everything you can say will bring godly reconciliation. And not everything will produce the fruit of the Spirit in that place. If you want reconciliation, you're going to have to be extremely careful with the words you choose to say. Did you know that every word that comes out of your mouth is a choice that you make to let it come out of your mouth? Nothing just happens like it didn't just pop out of your mouth. You had to open your mouth and use the muscles in your head to move your tongue to say the words. And no, the devil didn't make you do it. No, they, that other person didn't make you do it. You are ridiculously in charge of the words that come out of your mouth. 
No one is powerful enough to make you say anything. Let me go one more step further. No one is powerful enough to make you feel something. If you feel hurt or you feel whatever, that's because you chose to feel that. I love what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says. Do not let any unwholesome talk. Some translations say corrupt talk, foul words, hateful, ugly words. Like Jesus says, don't let it come out of your mouth. But only let come out of your mouth what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That's a big one to swallow, isn't it? Because sometimes we're like, oh, I know what they need to hear. (laughs) So before we speak, we're going to ask ourselves what? Is what I'm about to say going to build somebody up in their faith? Is what are the words that I'm about to say going to benefit somebody else? Is it going to be helpful to them? I, I took the liberty as I was preparing this just to write down a few phrases to add to our vocabulary to help us in the process of reconciliation. They're going to put them on the screen. Maybe you'll write one of these down. First one is, I'm sorry. Let's, let's try this together. Say, I'm sorry. Oh, come on. Doesn't that just, it just oh, feels good. Let's try the next one. I was wrong. Oh, that's a hard one. Let's try it again. I was wrong. Yeah, I know some of you are like, I was, please forgive me. Come on, let's try that. Please forgive me. We're adding to our vocabulary today in a high school. Praise the Lord. I did not mean to hurt you. Come on, y'all sound good. You don't have to say them. But if you want reconciliation, if you want to resolve conflict in a godly way, those are probably better words than the ones we plan to say ahead of time. Just saying. Here's another truth about reconciliation is that boundaries are better than walls. Not all relationships should return to the place where they were before. Some relationships need boundaries put up. A boundary, though, is different than a wall. See, a wall will keep things out and keep things in. Like, it's, it's going to keep the bad out, and it's going to keep the good out. Think about uh, the boundaries of your house, the walls in your house, right? The walls keep bad things out, but they also keep good things out. But a boundary is different. A boundary will keep bad things out, but, but keep good things in, allow good to come in. What's allowed to come in, the boundary. But a wall is immovable. It's there. It's stationary. A boundary has an opening. I think about it in my house Uh, I have a fence that goes around my property. Anybody else? Goes from the side of the house all around, defines where my property is. It tells my neighbors, you cannot come here without my permission. It keeps things out, but my fence has what's called a gate. It's something that I can move to allow good things in. I'm not secluded. See, a wall will keep us where we're isolated. It doesn't allow anything in or out. It's just a wall. And then I end up lonely. I end up isolated, depressed. Easier place for the enemy to come and lead me into deception and trick me. But a boundary will be something that allows me to allow good things to come in and keep the things out that don't need to be in that place. See, a wall, we create walls when we begin to think things like, I've got to protect myself. I've got to make sure that no one hurts me again. No one's going to come into this place again. Like, I'll never trust them again. We know, like, we've built a wall in that place. A boundary just defines, right? A boundary will be there to define, hey, this is the limits of where things will be. A boundary will help me to determine this is the limit of what I can handle. 
A boundary will determine like, thank you, but no thank you, right? We need boundaries in relationships. Everything should not have full access to our lives. And everyone should not have equal access to our lives. It's, it's not healthy. Like, you can't give everyone all of you. I know our phones are teaching us differently because we have it with us at all the times and anyone can reach out to us and access us at any point. And if you're like me, when it, you feel obligated, like, what's the first thing we do? Go to grab it. Who is that? We need some boundaries here. Sometimes it just needs to get put aside, and we need boundaries in relationships. And I know people can think that, oh, pastor, that's ungodly to have boundaries. No, it's actually godly to have boundaries. Jesus had boundaries. Let me show you a few. Jesus had boundaries to others' demands. Uh, You can write this reference down, Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16. The Bible says the crowds were pressing into Jesus. Teach us more. Keep teaching us, Jesus. And Jesus withdrew and went to be alone to pray with the Father. He had boundaries. No, guys, sorry, not doing that. Jesus had boundaries to others' abuse. Luke chapter 4, verse 28 and 30. The crowds were pressing in to throw Jesus off the cliff because they hated him. They, They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. And it says that he pushed his way through the crowd and left and went off by himself. He had boundaries to others' entitlement. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 through 50 is the story when Jesus' mother and his brothers came and demanded that he stop ministering to people and come be with them. Jesus said, no, these are my mother. These are my mothers. These are my brothers and my sisters, right? We need boundaries in our lives. We need boundaries in relationships. A healthy boundary is knowing and understanding our limits, we, we have limited time. We have limited energy. We have limited emotional capacity. And we can reconcile a relationship and still put up a healthy boundary in that place so that trust can be rebuilt. I would say it this way. Forgiveness is automatic, but we're going to build trust over time. Amen? In fact, I, I think... Um, it's important to note the only place you're, you're commanded to put your trust in Scripture. Like if you read the Bible, the only place that the Bible says put your trust here, it's not in people. God never says put your trust in people. He says trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Like we are to trust fully in him, but we're not commanded to trust people. We are commanded to love people. And you can love people with a boundary. I love my neighbors. I pray for them, but I have a boundary. I have a fence. You know, I have relational boundaries when I, when I see them. Like, we're commanded to love. Here's the next truth about reconciliation. We need to have honoring and honest conversations. Make sure you catch both those words. Honoring and honest, because I know, I know you're good at the honest. <laughs> Pastor, the Bible says speak the truth in love. Yeah, I know you're good at speaking the truth in love, baby. You know, you could say all the truth. But we need the other word, too. We need honoring. We need honoring and honest conversation. Honor says you are valuable. How you felt, your emotions, your life, how, how what happened affected you, like, that's important. I honor you. I value that what happened to you. And, and honest is not going off and just spouting off your opinion, right? 
Uh, it's not just shouting off whatever goes into your head. Honest is first forgiving and then having those conversations. But this is how it hurt me. This is how it affected me. When, when you said this, it affected me this way. And I think it's important to know in an honest and honoring conversation, the phrases you always and you never, like, that's not honest because no one always and no one nevers. Does that make sense? We need honest and honoring conversations. If you want godly reconciliation, you're going to need both. Here's the next one. Is this good today? Okay. If we want godly reconciliation, we need to refuse to gossip. Gossip, I define as talking about someone or something that I have no ability to control. Call it whatever you want. We're going to spill the tea. We're going to dish. We're going to dirt. We're going to vent. I just need to get this off my chest to somebody. Call it whatever you want. It's just gossip. It's just gossip. And the truth is, in any situation, in any conversation, you have the ability to throw fuel on that fire of gossip, or you can throw water on it and put it out. So just like, what, what's your life doing? What are the words you're saying doing? Are you adding fuel to the fire, or are you quelling the, the gossip, throwing cold water? And I, I wrote down um, four simple questions just to kind of ask. I don't know if you've ever been in one of those conversations where there's gossiping taking place, and maybe you even have like good intentions. You're like, I don't want to be part of this, but I don't know what to do right now. Anybody ever, anybody ever felt like that? I have. And so as uh, my pastor growing up taught me some questions to ask in those conversations just to shut it down. And I just encourage you, like, you are ordained and called by God in this place. Like, I give you permission. Like, we're going to be peacemakers. We're going to be gossip enders in this place. And so if you hear gossip, you hear somebody talking about someone and they're not there, you have my permission and anointed in the name of Jesus just to get right up in that place and be like, let's end this right now. We're just going to refuse to allow gossip in this place. So here's some questions to ask to be a peacemaker and put an end to gossip. And just like, do you know that for an absolute fact? You know, because most of the time gossip is based on someone else's opinion about something. Do you know that for an absolute fact? Another question to ask is, may I quote you when I talk to the other person about that? That'll usually put <laughs> into it real quick. <laughs> a great question that I love to ask is, can we pray for that person right now? You go first. You know, it's real hard to be hateful and gossiping about someone you're praying for. So if you have been struggling with gossip, instead of gossiping, just ask the Holy Spirit. When you like, start to notice that I'm gossiping on somebody, just stop and pray for them. You know what? Let's, I was gossiping. Let's just pray for them right now. I love to just tell on myself. You know, like, I'm sorry, that was gossip. I'm sorry, that was a lie. This is the truth. If you'll begin to do that, you'll stop gossiping real quick. Like, it'll just, like, deal with the root. And one of my favorite questions to ask is, uh, have you talked to that person individually? Let's go talk to them right now. And we're just going to put a stop to gossip. We're going to be bold in dealing with sin. Like, gossip is sin, and we're going to not allow it to remain in our lives. As a peacemaker, we cannot sit by idly and listen to someone trash other Christians, other leaders, other churches, and all that kind of stuff. We're called to be peace. Makers. I'm not talking about covering up gross sin or anything like that. We're going to deal with the issues, but we're not going to gossip about it. And listen, I am sick and tired 
of hearing people on social media, other Christians and believers, trash that church or that church because he has a big platform or because they don't agree with his doctrine or whatever. I don't have to agree with their doctrine and I don't have to get on social media to get clicks and likes about it to let everybody know that I think they're not good enough. I didn't call them into ministry and I'm not gonna be the one to judge them here or in heaven. God's gonna deal with that. All I can do is take care of what's said from this platform. I love you. But if you're following those kind of people on social media who are trashing whatever, whatever, whether that person is right or wrong, that that minister got it right or wrong, they're a person just like you. And you need to unfollow those people. You need to get that garbage out of your life. Here's the last one today. Seven truths about reconciliation is we need to follow scriptural examples. The Bible is the greatest example for everything that we need to in life. The answer is in the Bible. And in scripture, we find two main processes for us to go through. Scriptural examples for reconciliation and resolving conflict. The first one is found in James chapter 1. Verse 19, he writes this. He says, my dear brothers and sisters. So he's writing this to the church. He's writing this to Christians. So apparently, as Christians, we need some help in conflict resolution, right? We're not, we're not looking for a win-lose. We're looking for a win-win-win-win situation. Praise the Lord. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, say everyone. everyone. Are you part of everyone? It's yes. The answer is yes. You are part of Everyone. Everyone should be quick to, let's say the words, listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So James has given us three steps here to conflict resolution, to reconciling relationships. The first one is this, be quick to listen. Have you ever been in that conversation listening and you, their, their lips are going and you're hearing their words, but because you're playing it out in your mind, you have no idea what the other person has said because you're just ready to answer back to whatever they said. That's not listening. That's not communication. That's just waiting to answer. That's just waiting to speak. Like, like most of the time I find that relationships are out of whack. There's problems because there has been no communication. My pastor growing up taught me, he would tell me all the time, he'd say, where communication begins, frustration ends. And communication is a two-way street. It's listening and speaking. The problem is, is that we, most of the time, when we're trying to resolve things, we just want to be the one speaking. That's not communicating. That's just you speaking. And honestly, I think that's why a lot of people struggle in their prayer life, because they treat God that way. They just want to come into prayer and it's all about them speaking and whatever they want and then they want God to just do what they asked and do the things and then they're done and they know they leave no space for God to speak and for his word to saturate their life. But last I checked, it was his word that will remain when all of this world is destroyed. It's his word that brings life. It's his word that is alive and powerful that will transform our lives. So we probably need more time in prayer where we are quiet Psalms 46 says, be still and know that I am God. We need communication with the Father. Yes, we need to talk. We need to express to him who he is and what's in our lives, what's going on, what our needs are. But then we need to zip the lip and just, God, what do you want to say to me? That's communication. 
And the same thing in conflict resolution and, and reconciling relationships. We need to be slow to speak. Did you know you have twice as much capacity in your physical body to hear as you do to speak? One, two. Go ahead and check. Make sure they're there. One on one side. One ear on one side. Do you got, everybody got both? And how many mouths do you have? One. Two ears, one mouth. That means you should be listening twice as much as you're talking. <laughs> Slow to speak. If you really want to resolve conflict, if you really want godly uh, reconciliation in, in relationships, then we need to be slow to speak. We need to be slow to speak so that we can hear how things affected the other person. We need to be quick to hear. I'm sorry. I skipped ahead of myself. And I'm not just suggesting that in being quick to hear that we just let the other person just spout off and just go off for hours and tell us how terrible we are. And I've been in those conversations. Nothing godly comes of that either. Like I'm not going to be a doormat. I will be quick to hear what's going on, right? Because I value, I honor the other person. And if we can't be quick to hear, then we haven't dealt with the pride in our heart. Because pride says what happened to them doesn't matter. It's about me. I don't need to listen. They were wrong. They hurt me. Pride will keep us from the place that leads us to freedom. Did you know that repentance is what leads us to freedom? Come on. So we're going to be quick to hear. The next things that James says, we're going to be slow to speak. Um, my pastor growing up, Pastor Billy Joe, he was really good at this. And he, he, I asked him one day, uh, I, I knew he was really upset at me. I, had, I worked for him, and there was uh, some of the stuff that we had done that wasn't up to the, the level that he had asked us to, and I knew he was kind of upset about it, and so I got called into his office, and uh, he was so gracious. I knew he was mad, and we had the discipline and the correction that we needed in that moment, and um, I went back to my office, and I was just, I was just thinking about the process because when, when I was growing up, that's not how discipline was at my house, <laughs> you know, like... Um, I'm thankful my mom raised me well. She loved me and she used the rod of correction. Praise the Lord. I believe in, in spanking in a godly way. We've taught about that before. We don't discipline out of anger. Uh, and so I, I, I asked if I could come back into his office and just, of course, he, he let me come in and I was like, can you, can you teach me? Like, like, I knew you were upset. Can you teach me what, what you just did? Because that's, different than what I've ever experienced and so he began to teach me the process not even about correction but he said when I'm upset when I'm angry here's what I do and it really helped me a lot he said the first thing I will do is I will slow down how fast I'm speaking I'll begin to talk slower I'm going to slow down slow down my cadence and talk slower he said the second thing I will do is I will lower the volume of my voice so that I'm controlling my voice. Because what happens is when we're hurt, when we're upset, too often we get talking faster and faster, our voices get raised, and I just got to make my point, and I need to ask him if, right? <laughs> He's like, instead, I want to be self-controlled, because that is a fruit of the Spirit. So when I'm self-controlled, then I'm allowing the Spirit of God to work through me. And it will take a lot of self-control when you're in those moments of reconciliation and resolving conflict to slow down. I'm going to speak slower. 
I'm going to speak softly. And he said, in fact, the more upset I am, the slower I'll speak and the softer I'll speak. And then I began to think back like, wait a minute. <laughs> He's been angry with me at times I didn't even realize because. <laughs> and so that's something I've worked really hard in my life to do. And so if you ever hear me speaking slow and angry, you know it's because I'm working at being self-controlled. Like, it's just who I am and who I'm going to be. Right? I'm going to be slow to speak. Why is this important? Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, drives out strife. But a harsh word stirs up anger. It's just true, isn't it? Here's the next step that James gives us. He says, we're going to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Listen, if anger has been a part of your life, a part of your story, Like, today's the day. We're going to cut that thing off at the root. It does not have to be part of your future. You get to decide. Uh, You might not know by looking at my life today, but that that was a problem I had. I had a problem with anger. People used to ask Heather when we were first married, like, is it okay to come over today or is Chris going to be angry? Like, it was that bad. And I had to get my life under control. I had to learn to be slow to anger because My anger doesn't produce what God wants. It's not going to produce godliness in me and others. It's not going to bring resolution or or anything like that. It's not going to bring reconciliation. And listen, if the Bible is teaching us to be slow to anger, then absolutely, 100%, without a doubt, you can do it. It's just the choice you make. And if you choose not to, it's just because you like to be angry. It's just the way you like it. I just choose, I like it where I'm not angry. I'm going to be slow to angry. And the things that are going to make me angry are the things that make the heart of God angry. Come on, there's a difference between just being angry and sinning. And Jesus said, be angry and sin not. See, the anger of God leads us to a place where we're making a difference so that someone else could be drawn closer to him. Human anger is just all me. It's all selfish. It's all pride. I'm going to get my way. That's one process of, of conflict resolution. The other process we see in Scripture was actually taught to us by Jesus. Matthew chapter 18 starts in verse 15. Jesus says this, If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault. Now, he doesn't mean just go and tell them how bad they are. Do you know what you did? How dare you? Look what you've done. You know, that's not what he's saying. He says, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. You've gained your brother back. So this is one-on-one situation. This is not like I, I vented to someone else. I got it off my chest. I need to bounce something off of you. This is I posted it on Facebook. No, this is before anything else. I've forgiven in my heart, and then I go to that person. Um, for, and for me personally, I kind of add a little wrinkle in there in our world today, like especially if for, for me as a man, if, if the situation is with another woman, I will bring my wife with me. Here's my reasoning. Because when me and my wife were married, the two become one. So it's not like I'm just bringing an extra random person into the situation. No, this is me and my wife are one. And I like, so, so that way I'm not creating this, an awkward situation between as me as a man and a, and a woman that I'm not married to. Amen. Same thing on the other way. Okay, so we're just going to use wisdom in those situations because I honor and value that person. But Jesus is saying, like, before we do anything else, we're going to go to that person. Really, this is a matter of spiritual maturity. Jesus is saying the, the stronger will go to the weaker. 
That's what he's saying. The stronger spiritual person will be the one to go to the other person and say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to hurt you. I'm not sure if something that I said hurt you or upset you, but if it did, I'm sorry. If I missed it in some way, please forgive me. The stronger one will go, see, because that's spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is not how you act when things are good. It's how you respond when you're hurt. It's how you respond when you're corrected. And by the way, being corrected in leadership is not church hurt. Accountability in relationships is not relational hurt. Like it's accountability, it's leadership. And yes, I know some people abuse that and that's a different conversation, but we're not talking about that. Like if someone who you know and trust is speaking the word into you in a corrective situation, like that's God bringing correction into your life. That's why you're planted in a house so you could receive correction from the Father. Different message, sorry, I gotta stay on track. Spiritual maturity is not... It's not about who was right or wrong. It's about laying myself down to serve someone else. Jesus said, greater love has no one than to lay down his life for another. That's a true test of our spiritual maturity. Jesus says, so go to that person one-on-one and see if you can reconcile. If you can, you win. They win, right? But if they won't listen, take two or three others along, the biggest, baddest, meanest you can find, (laughs) so that every matter can be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. You know, it's funny, but sometimes we do that, right? I'm going to get all the people who have my back, who share my opinion, who I've vetted, and who have shared what they did and how dare they, and they're just as angry and upset and offended as me, and we're going to get our way. We're going to strong arm this thing until we get there, baby. You know, like, that's not what Jesus is saying. I believe that Jesus is saying bring some unbiased godly counsel, some objective party to help facilitate resolution, right? Because remember, we're seeking godly reconciliation, and it's not about justice at all costs. It's not about getting my way. It's about bringing grace and peace and healing from the Spirit of God into that place. So we're bringing someone in that can help both parties see where they missed it And where they missed it. Because listen, none of us get it right all the time. And even if it was the other person's fault, I still had a role to play. I can still still grow. I can still be humble and repent. I can still get better. We all have blind spots, don't we? And if you think you don't, well, like today, we're going to pray for some pride. You know what I'm saying? Like, we all have blind spots. And... The trouble with the blind spot is when we close ourselves off to accountability and teachability. So Jesus says in the next verse 17, so first we go to them one-on-one. If if we resolve it, we win. If not, then we bring some objectives party with us, two or three people. It's still not a Facebook Live to to unload the discourse of what happened. No, it's, it's still in a closed environment, two or three people. We're seeking resolution. He says, if they still refuse to listen. So we're on step three now. Tell it to the church. Now, he doesn't mean go into the lobby and find everybody you can. Well, I just want to let you know what happened, and this is what we're doing. And, hey, I know we're not really friends, but I want to let you know what happened because they're bad. And, and, and Pastor, can I share something from the mic because of what happened? <laughs> you laugh, but I've seen it happen. 
Like, that's not what he's talking about, tell it to the church. He's not talking about tagging the church in a Facebook social media post, you know, or, or whatever. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about. He's like coming to the church leadership. And in different churches, that looks different. So in, a, in a, a church that's larger than ours and there's other leaders in areas, he's not like, you don't have to just come to me with everything. You'd go to the leader in the area that you are uh, underneath. So if you're on the kids area and you're serving in that area, then your leader, even in our church, will be my wife. Pastor Heather, and she will lead through reconciliation in our in our worship area. If there's issues there, our team's going to come through our, our worship leader, Calvin, uh, in that area. Whatever the area is, like we're not just running to get to the highest position that we can. Why? Because my life is submitted under leadership. I'm under authority, and I'm going to trust the the authority of the leadership of the church that God has put us in. Right? He says, "Tell it to the church, and if they refuse to listen, even to the church." Wow, we're getting deep now. He says, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Treat them like the IRS, baby. <laughs> See, there's so much humor in the Bible if you read it that way, you know. But question, he's saying like, treat them like a person who doesn't know Christ. That's far from God. How do you treat a person that's far from God? You love them. He's not saying like, you're dead to me now. You didn't follow the steps, so you out, baby. You are like, cut it out. You gone. No, like we love them. We still, we're like, we still sacrifice ourselves for them. I think about like when we give up a Saturday to go out and minister somewhere or we, 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 you know, all the things that we do and the outreaches and, and missions, like we love people who are far from God. He says, that's how you treat them. You treat people that way. We make every effort as far as it depends on us to live at peace with people. To bless, to honor, not holding grudges, not, not pulling up the past. We make every effort to live at peace with people, to reconcile. Why? Because we are peacemakers. We're called by God as his sons and his daughters. This is who we are. This is who we're going to be. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I want to read one more passage of scripture to us today. If we love people, what does that mean? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this, love is patient. This is how we love people. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not conceited. It's not prideful. Love does not act improperly. It's not selfish. It's not easily provoked. It means like you're going to have to work real hard to get me upset. Right? Right? You're going to have to work real hard to get me offended. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. I just, we're going to believe the best in others. Right? I have been having to work at that one. Sometimes you see something, uh, you, you, you talk to somebody and they say one thing to your face and then you see their social media posts and you're like, but I bet they were, but I'm going to believe the best in others. I'm going to believe people have pure intentions. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. So like when something bad happens to your so-called enemy, you're not happy about it. Like we don't find joy in that. We rejoice in the truth. We rejoice when people prosper. Love bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. Come on, let's get to our feet today. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. 
We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through His Word. 